I buy I buy like you know the the six pack of readers from Amazon. Um, <laughs> they fall apart over about five months, and I order them again. It is really funny. It's especially when I talk to somebody I've known since I was like barely twenty two. Yeah, that I realize how old we are now, Pete. Let me tell you, I tonight as we're doing this, <laughs> I am I'm getting ready to go to my. 30th high school reunion virtually of course uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> like, which would have been really funny to explain to yourself 30 years ago let's right? just face that no you're way. like no way <laughs> seriously yep and you're gonna have this like glass thing in your pocket that's yep. called an iphone yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> no i i it's like there this is the first year ironically that I've been sort of excited about about attending this crazy thing and uh and it's the first year that we're not even having it and I'm looking at the list of people I'm like I don't even I don't they're not going to remember who I am nobody's going to remember who I am that's why I'm going into this knowing that I'll be completely anonymous that's and it. I I'm going to set the bar there and maybe if some of my old friends show up that'd be great <laughs> we'll see <laughs> that would we'll be roll awesome. the dice uh, anyway, we're talking about uh, 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 Jerry and his fancy wordplay. Yeah. Alone becomes all one. Nothing becomes no thing and nowhere becomes now here. And I giggled over that. I know that there is actually meaning behind it in his process, but I giggled hard because he's a wordplay yeah, guy. Yeah, that was pretty cool, right? That's pretty good, right? I'd never, ever heard that. I'd never, ever heard yeah. that. Smart guy. It's that, it's that cool transformation thing. Love that guy. Yeah. That, yeah. You've known him for a long dude. time. Like, how did you, really how'd you feel about time. this conversation? I felt great about it. Uh, part of what I felt great about, honestly, was like, I feel like I've really absorbed Jerry Campbell beautifully for the last 20 years. Cause, um, you know, he, like, he, I, as I was hearing him say back to me things we've talked about for a long time, I was realized, Realizing, you know, in the way I move her through the world and the way I work with clients, his stuff is all over the place in my thinking. Yeah. Even in the gray sequence, for those out there who know what that is, a whole lot of his his way of thinking about the, the world has weaved its way into that, um, along with a bunch of other really cool things. Um, yeah, it was, it. you know, it's... It's always beautiful to actually get some real time with him, though, to say, what about this? And what do you think of this? And mm -hmm. how would you approach that? And does this metaphor work for you, too? What was it like for you to listen to? That's the first time you've had a chance to talk to Jerry Gamble. Uh, I learned a couple of things that uh, I was able to integrate, like, almost immediately, uh, apart from his charming wordplay. Um, and I, I think the, you know, you talked about two things uh, uh, the the last one I'll mention first, which was the his story of training the amygdala and uh, mm. conquering his fear and anxiety of heights uh, by this exercise in curiosity. And uh, the the reminder was really great because he said the amygdala does not learn through insight; it learns through experience and uh repeated experience repeated experience like over and over and over again and his description of like his experience parasailing 
Uh, and just being super curious about why am I white knuckling the rope here? And what, you know, I have evidence, like visual evidence that other people are doing this and they're fine. They're surviving. Like I don't have really, I mean, in terms of just me being, um, you know, scared for my life, Mr. Amygdala, I'm doing fine. We're going to be fine. Why am I still scared of this? Like do it again and again. That repeated experience I thought was really powerful. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a needle phobia guy. So I'm like thinking, oh goodness, what? What am I doing with uh, with needles? Like I, I try to avoid every experience that I could possibly have with needles and try to get my way around them because I don't want to deal with like passing out. And uh, I'm, I, you know, this was the I, I started reflecting on, you know, leaning into that experience. I have lots of opportunities to get shots and get blood draw and all this kind of stuff that if I really wanted to know what was going on with some of the, you know, medical mystery that is Pete. I could lean into needles like I could have, I could say, OK, you've you've doctor, you've wanted that shot for a long time. You've wanted that blood test. Let's go do it. Let's go see what that's like and um, and and try to be, just be allow curiosity to lead to bravery, which I thought was uh, it, it was just a neat way to to approach anxiety. And I talk a lot about anxiety on another podcast. So it, it was a neat kind of reference point for me. Uh, that yeah. was one. There are a couple of cool things I caught in there too. I like that he had already done all this conscious stuff about getting more relaxed. You know, he's up there, he's watching, he's seeing his feet dangle and he's thinking, hey, I got this. This is fine. Everything's fine. And I thought he was going to then say, and then a gust of wind comes up and I realize I don't have this, but he didn't. He's still fine. And then he looks over at his hands and he realizes his knuckles are white and he goes, oh, all that anxiety just moved into my hands. Yeah, right. Hadn't noticed that got to do it again. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing, right? Got to do it again is not a natural response. And that is like, it's so easy at that moment to say, oh, (laughs) that's where all my anxiety is. I need to go get a margarita. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do it again. I, we went to Costa Rica some years ago and uh, with the family and we did some things that uh, absolutely, like white knuckle, terrified me. We did um, the the two of them that were the the most substantial for me was uh, were rappelling. Now I've I've rappelled before off of of heights, but we were rappelling through waterfalls. Like that was the <laughs> whole gambit. Like you go to this beautiful place and you rappel, and the water is like crushing down on you, and you got to keep your wits about you in this water as you go down through it's the most gorgeous experience in the world but you're stuck in the middle of the terror and the horror of the waterfall on top of you but then it it struck me the tour takes you on like eight of these things and by the last one i you realize i cannot get enough of this i have now done it eight times the first one was terrible second one was you know, still pretty terrible. By three, four, five, you're thinking, okay, this is pretty cool. And by the end, you just want to do it again. And then we go from there to a canopy zipline tour. So (laughs) (laughs) we take off the side of the mountain and we're ziplining hundreds and hundreds of meters through the canopy of these trees. And it's one of those horrible things where you're you're ziplining and it feels like you're pretty safe. Even though you're at the top of the tree canopy, they're trees. There's tree below you, and so it it tricks your brain into thinking, oh, it's just a few feet down, and I'm there's tree. Of course, if you fell, you would <laughs> those trees would tear hundreds you to pieces. of feet. <laughs> yeah, you'd be torn to pieces and plummet hundreds of feet. Um, but then it the trees 
disappear and you are careening over a chasm. <laughs> There's no wow. tree line. And it's it is the most wondrous and gorgeous experience ever. And there were like, you know, another eight or ten of these zip lines as you go through the you you hike a little bit, walk a little bit, zip line a lot, and then you're in. And that that came back to me in full listening to this conversation with Jerry because of of that, as you say, that that amygdala repetition that is required to kind of accustom yourself to these things. I uh that's it's it's straight up terrifying just until the moment that it isn't. Yeah. From self-waterboarding to human yeah. projectile, and suddenly these things are two of the most gorgeous experiences you can ever remember. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. It's amazing. The other thing you said that I thought was interesting, can I can I change to my second one? Or did you have more to say yeah. about that? All right. The second one was he he talked about he met he used the word mood a lot. And I'm fascinated by moods. Uh and and I think mood in context of like work and life is often disrespected or diminished uh, to mm-hmm. the point that it's it's not it's no longer useful and i was really I, I appreciative of jerry and his use of mood and mood as relates to or versus feeling and uh I, there, there's a uh writer business writer and theorist named fernando flores who is really quite something and he and his his daughter actually have done a lot of work on mood in the business context, like how do you approach a meeting? Like just because you walk into a conference room, if you're like scared because you're in a conference room doesn't mean you're any less scared or sad or whatever. Like how do you approach and define the mood of of your sort of context, whatever that may be, home, work, life, et cetera. And so it was interesting to hear Jerry talk about mood in your conversation, because it's it, it's I think it's the first time we've we've talked we've we've had it brought up, and I was wondering what you thought about his references to that, and in particular this mood versus feelings question. Do you see a difference? What is your experience? Yeah, I've always thought that's a really interesting choice of words to describe feelings plus thoughts. Yeah. Um, but if you think about it, who does that remind you of that we just talked to in the last couple of months? That's Soma plus story equals state from Victoria Castle. From Victoria, sure. Right? Yeah. Um, so really what he's talking about in a mood is kind of a, it's it's a state. It's more than just your thoughts, more than just your feelings, your sensations. It's kind of the, the whole thing all put together. But the emphasis for him is on how the story changes the embodied experience, um, where it goes from, you know, something that's fluid and mysterious and can flow through you and evaporate on the, you know, quickly to something that's muddy. Um, and, you know, and then if you work with that mud long enough, you can bake it into bricks as, you know, as I was saying it, my way of thinking about it, that that can last a lifetime. You Mm -hmm. can build incredible bricks around things and um and eventually you get tired of the isolation all the bricks create so then you get you start getting into distraction uh and you know that's that's where we start moving toward what victoria would call relief the question there becomes and i think this is where flores's writing comes into play which is how do you how do you use it right how do you mm-hmm. how do you impact uh sort of your day-to-day 
uh, understand it by becoming more aware of the the mood, the state that you're in, and you know how do you how do you create a practice out of influencing that? Because it's so yeah. easy to just get, to get mired, like you said, as is in those bricks, right? To to build your own little stucco house of fear and concern and whatever and and what you really you know when when really what would serve you best is maybe a mood of curiosity of provocation of of interest of um you know of love and warmth and generosity grace right uh but and, and i think right now you know in the current media media and political landscape it's hard not to get baked well he's laying out you know something that by now is getting familiar to us it's it's his own way of talking about the stuff my brother ben talked about in episode one which is not getting stuck in our stories um that ted talked about in his ways that um definitely came up with victoria um and it's 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 this idea of how do we stay alive in our bodies rather than jump into our heads as we experience life. Jerry was adding something new there that I thought was really helpful, which is to acknowledge some of the time, you know, the way we think about stuff is helpful. Some of the time there really is a problem to solve. Um, and some of the time uh, there isn't. And even if there is, dissolving the problem is immensely faster than solving it. So we talked about that gentleman that I work with who's dealing with, has been dealing with a phobia. He's, I mean, it's now gone. I mean, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. He's been for months just uh, terrified of a day-to-day, everyday, totally normal activity that he has never experienced any danger around, but he's so terrified he could not function in that activity. Um, because he'd almost lost his wife and he hadn't cried about it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when we finally got him close enough to his grief and got there really just through following sensation, just staying in the body and his brain would want to talk and I'd say, yeah, yeah, but where do you feel that in your body? Oh, that makes sense. But where do you feel that in your body? Uh-huh. And come on back again, just a minute. Up. Oh, did you notice how... Soon as you started to feel it again in your chest, you wanted to bounce out. Yeah, let's go back to the chest. What's going on there? And all of a sudden, he got really sad. And he kept crying and apologizing and crying and wanting not to cry. And he's of a generation that especially doesn't want to cry. Um, and when he could just stay with the feelings, which really are physical sensations more than anything, Sadness is a tightness in the throat and a warmth and wetness in the eyes and right but all over the world sadness is experienced physiologically pretty similarly. Same with anger, same with fear. Um if we can stay with that, uh something begins to happen. And what he's saying is when we want to jump into stories to create a problem that we can solve. We take a very, very long way around. Now, sometimes there is genuinely something that also needs to be solved, or sure. at least talked about. 
what I'm finding with years of working with Jerry's stuff, same with Ben or Victoria, is, but if you do the feeling part first, if you stay within sensations, um, something changes inside that makes the other part immensely more approachable and accessible. Um, and it is a really, really useful model uh, because there's a transformation that happens at the bottom where you finally drop into the... It's it's a scary feeling when you drop into full feeling, like b- big, big emotional stuff that starts to arise from the sensations. It really does feel alone, and it feels nowhere. There, There's a, a sort of... Um, it feels a little like falling into a well or something. Have you seen can, Have you seen Soul yet? Yes. I mean, it's that's limbo, right? That metaphor, like the people yeah. who wrote that movie, have been listening to you and Jerry. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we just got a really, really early preview of a great movie. But yeah, yeah. Um, and there is something amazing that happens when you begin to shift through it. Um, Here would be an example. One gentleman I've been working with recently has been finding a lot of fear and jealousy coming up around being separated from his girlfriend. Um, Nothing's really changed. They've been living in separate cities for some time, and it's been perfectly fine. Um, But... um, She's had occasion to interact with a guy, you know, locally for for her that has got him really scared. And it kept turning into a story about her and the other person that when he had a chance to go visit and check out, turned out to not be the story. Yeah. And yet his brain can go that fast back into, but it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he yeah. already knows for sure there's no way in the world this guy is a romantic interest to But I'll bet 15 girlfriend. minutes after he got on the plane leaving his girlfriend, he's already back into that story. All she has to do is go on a study break. With, yeah. And it, but when he's by himself again and the fear starts, the fear doesn't know where to go, so it turns into a story. Right? And what's been really helpful is to get to stay with the sensation long enough to realize, oh... This has to do with old shameful feelings about me. Yeah. I mean, about himself that go back to really important things that really make sense that he's never said out loud to anybody. And so, of course, it has to turn into a story about something out there instead yeah. of, ah, I got to sit with this. And he's been doing beautiful work with that. Yeah. So, there's something there about jerry's stuff that's really amazing i i was reflecting a little bit on you know the gap that happens once you get through the sort of dissolution of the the immediate Mm -hmm. trauma or the story and how that the the disconnect between sort of head and body right the disconnect of the soma part the somatic elements um there is a it's like um uh, amputees uh, who deal with missing limbs syndrome, mm-hmm. right? It's like we become so accustomed to the trauma that even when we don't feel the emotional weight of it, we miss that it was there. That yeah. we still resonate with the 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 trauma, even though 
we've already kind of moved through it. It's still, there's, there's an echo. Like resolving those echoes is like the, the journey of resolving to some state of normalcy. Yeah. Uh, and I really like that, that image. Yes. Yes. And, and it does require the kind of repetition Jerry's talking about. Yeah. And there are two things he's willing to do that most people are not willing to do. And I find them both really amazing. Two things stood out to me as I was listening to that episode again. One of them is the piece you highlighted, which is his willingness to go repeat a difficult experience. Ah, Knowing this is going to take a bunch of times. Yeah. Which starts with this idea of, in all the eons of humanity, love has never conquered fear and fear has never conquered love. We are supposed to live in a dynamic tension between them. And, you know, sadness and anger and loneliness and, you know, um, powerlessness, these are all sort of variations on this theme of fear. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I, I'm never going to beat it. It'll always come around again in some way, but I can transform it. Sure. And I can live in a way so that I am less and less afraid uh, but it's going to take a lot of repetition because my amygdala won't respond to an explanation. So when when he sits with a client, he, you know, as you may have caught him alluding to, he'll say, well, I'd like to help you be scared. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very confusing to people. Yeah. The And then you could hear, as you pointed out beautifully, like, he's got a fear of heights. He's on vacation. Really? He's going to look at parasailing and think, I'm going to yeah, confront to something that. hard right now, right? Yeah. Oh, how Jerry, was it? it's my Thai time. I know. And he's <laughs> yeah, somebody asks, how was it? And he's like, I have no idea. I wasn't there. I, I wasn't guess I'm going to have to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, like, yeah. that's such courage. The other thing I caught was in the exercise at the end when he said, and if you find you've gotten distracted and a thought has come up, Stop. At that point, I was like, wait, what? And he was saying, once you've scared your amygdala, it's telling you that's as far as I want to go today. Yeah, You need to stop. And the two work beautifully together. Yeah, Stopping right there is not going to work very well unless you're going to go back and do it again. Right. But doing it again and again and again, if you keep terrifying yourself, isn't going to work very well either. It's torture. Because... What your amygdala didn't have the first time it got scared was a chance to say, that's enough. Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been traumatized. Yeah, that's fascinating that the sort of dance between courage and kindness, like, it's Mm -hmm. how easy is it to put on, like, the the, uh, sort of mantle of machismo and say, I'm going to conquer my fear and do it until you're just burned with just right. the hostility and, uh, and, and have demonstrated no act of compassion to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we imagine we're going to grow faster that way. Yeah. At some point, we'll maybe we'll find a cool way to do a show about this, but um, Ted taught me years ago about a different way to exercise, uh, which is really fascinating. The idea is when we our breathing through our noses, we tend to breathe from the diaphragm and we tend to stay in a parasympathetic that is a, you know, relaxed, uh, restorative place. Mm -hmm. 
once we start breathing through our mouths, we tend to breathe up in our chest and our body starts preparing for an emergency. Generally, when everything's working great, at least before we got to this culture where we're halfway into crisis all the time, all the time, we would only breathe through our noses, believe it or not. Unless we were running from something or chasing something. And then we'd breathe through our mouths because we needed like that extra turbo boost of, you know, adrenaline and the breathing through the mouth would stimulate it. So the idea is when you're exercising, um, you exercise right to the limit where you no longer feel comfortable breathing through your nose. Really? And then you slow down a little bit. So that you keep breathing through your nose. Yeah. And if you have to, because you've overdone it or you're on a really steep hill and you have to stop to breathe, keep breathing through your nose, do And as soon as you can start moving again, but keep breathing through your nose, you do that too. If you find your mouth has opened, stop for a minute. As soon as you can breathe through your nose, start going again. Okay, why? what does that do for you? Well, it turns out it's apparently really, really good for you. Um, And that your exercise gains are really rapid this way because your body doesn't go into a fight-or-flight state. Not even a little bit. Um, Martina Navratilova, the famous tennis player who not only was, you know, a superstar of her time, but has by far the longest tennis career ever recorded. She, I think, won a a doubles tournament at Wimbledon in her 50s. Um, And uh, she was trained that way. When she was young, her coach would stop the point every time she started breathing through her mouth. Um, (laughs) And... uh, and she credits that to long, long-term kind of, um, you know, resilience and uh, and kind of healthier um, living and, and sort of body uh, through her career. I didn't say that very well, but I think you got the, the idea. Yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. So I bring all that up to say, <clears throat> Jerry, in a sense, does that emotionally. He's so much like Ted. They are two of the gentlest humans I've ever encountered. And they're really, really patient with people. And you've probably heard me say somewhere along the way in these shows, the slower you go, the faster you get there. I'll say it a thousand more times because it's just one of the great paradoxes ever. And they really, they live that so well. And one of the ones I'd never noticed before is if I am... With my feelings and I jump to my thoughts, that's an okay time to stop. Hmm. I've always thought, well, shoot, I go there so freaking fast that I'll never get anything done. I got to power, you know, power back in, really commit, force myself into my feelings, which is not the idea. I do that all the time. I know. All the time. And as... And as the co-host of the ADHD podcast, like, I wonder what you think about that. Like, I mean, but what if a big chunk of ADHD isn't just you're just wired that way, you, you couldn't possibly help it, but that you got wired that way early through some way of interacting with your experience that drove you to change the subject as quickly as possible? Yeah, I mean, that's a big what if. Uh but, yeah. you know, I guess I, I look at it the other way, like if like this making a practice of this stuff, like making a practice of, you know, emo- breathing through your emotional nose mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> is 
is, uh, I, I think, can uh, might end up being a really interesting salve to the experience of, of fireworks brain, right? Yeah. Um, yeah b- being able to, to really sit back on the lawn and enjoy it rather than just feeling like you're up in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an experience I have all the time. And, and, you know, it, when it comes to productivity and business stress and all these kinds of, of things like that, that I struggle with that end up flashing as distractions, right? Um, I, the, the act of just sort of mulling them and never being able to sort of sit back and shut off, uh, shut off the feeling of like, why am I, why am I so persistently thinking about the most negative outcomes that could possibly befall the projects that I'm working on? Yeah. Like being able to exist in the state immediately before the mulling over <laughs> like might be, might be a nice space to, to live in for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that even better than the origin question is like, so how could I use this to help myself notice when my brain has kicked back in and it's changing the subject or yeah. has begun to loop on something? And maybe the useful question would be, I wonder if I just got scared. And if so, where do I feel that in my body? Yeah. yeah. Could I stay with it for a little while? Maybe just long enough before I, you know, until I get distracted. I have a feeling often, I mean, one big hallmark of ADHD is a wonderful capacity for hyperfocus. And I think it would be the kind of thing where you could just follow those sensations until you realized, ah, I think that was enough. Mm -hmm. I like his three Fs, Jerry's, that is. Yeah. Find, focus, and follow. Yeah. Yeah. Find the fear, focus on the experience, and follow the sensations. That how he was talking about. Yeah, that? essentially. So you're well. You're finding. You're finding the sensation. You're focusing on it until it gets, you know, it intensifies and magnifies, and then you're following it as it becomes something new. Mm-hmm. It may diminish. It may get bigger. It may transform. It may move to somewhere else in the body. And you follow it, and then you find that, and you focus on that until it becomes what it needs to be, and then you follow it to where it goes next. Until you find either a thought has come in, which means that's enough, mm-hmm. or it's transformed entirely and you feel free. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like that because it's just, you know, he's, again, he's such a a playful guy with words and so thoughtful that all of these mnemonics, mnemonic devices are easy to kind of track. Reading his reviews, and he is, he and I were texting yesterday about some other issues uh, related to the show, and in his words, I'm as off the grid as anyone can possibly be. Like, he has no, (laughs) there's no website, there's nothing, there's nothing to point anybody to about him. He's got, you know, a phone number. Um, but he does have, because he's a licensed practitioner in the state of Nashville, there are all of the, the various sites, the, the like rate my doc sites and, and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And one of the common threads that you see with, with Jerry is that he is a a therapist's therapist and, and not meaning that he is like a pinnacle of the therapeutic community, although he is very well, maybe 
he's a great contributor. But the fact is that he has a reputation of being a great therapist for other therapists. Yes. It's, that's a thing that kind of stuck with me. And spe- specifically, as you are a therapist who has been working with, with Jerry, um, can you reflect a little bit on your experience as, uh, of working with a great therapist as a client? Yeah, well, he's, um, I was referred to him for exactly that purpose. That and one other thing. Um, I had asked my supervisor a million years ago, I need like the best therapist you can think of. And he said, well, I got a few people in mind. And uh, and when he brought up Jerry, he said, now he would be a different cat because he's going to spend a lot of time talking about your body, uh, which is not really where I come from. And I was like, that's my man. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't yeah. know about oh, that back then. I want to go to I there. Yeah. I need somebody to get me out of my head and my words because they will otherwise drown me. Sure. Right? And, um, you know, working with Jerry, we had the same conversation a thousand times. <laughs> Very often I'd come in and I would tell a big story and then I'd say, God, and I just, I don't know what to do about that. And he would look at me with the same patient, slightly sort of amused um, glimmer in his eye, and he would cock his head a little bit, and he would always say, do? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, Yoda. Like, Jesus. <laughs> it's like been 12 years, and I still fall for it every time. Like, every time I think I'm supposed to do something, and every time he would say, do? And then I go, God, dang it. Here I went again. I mean, like, right? I've already, like, taught a thousand clients to go past me in that way. But, you know, at one point I was really frustrated about it. Of, like, just how long it was taking for me for to get anywhere. And he said, oh, Dodge, you're a therapist. You're making record time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. Uh, what do you mean? And he was like, therapists are the absolute slowest moving clients of all time they're they think of themselves as terribly willing but they have got the best stories in the world to wrap around their feelings like trying to extricate them from those stories just takes a very long time but i guess it's like anything else this is so funny because you know i so i've been podcasting a very long time and i have some ingrained belief systems around the things processes workflows tools that i use that are intractable and I know that mm-hmm. about myself, but that means it's a thousand times harder to implement change on a day-to-day kind of process level. I'm, I just don't change easily because I believe that what I'm doing is the best way to do it, even though it's totally not. Uh, and I have to imagine, like, that's that's kind of the same thing, right? Except for you're living very much in your podcasting tool all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting process, and yeah. you're exactly right. I mean, it becomes really tempting to go into, you know, my training, sort of back into the family system, back into the psyche, back into sure. the unconscious, back into sort of any of the places I was trained like that. And, uh, you know, he was always just kind of like, meh, who knows about that? I'd be really interested in just where that is in your body right now. Yeah, yeah, Sure. And then I'd stay with that for a little while. And often what was really cool was if I started with that and I spontaneously ended up in something that felt like old history, that was productive. If I went looking for an explanation in ancient history, 
I could keep myself busy for weeks or months on that and not really get anywhere. Yeah, sure. And if you're, if anybody's interested in a great example of that, that happened with my brother in that first episode. He started was, asking totally me to just notice my awareness. experience, right? Yeah. And and as I did that, I just could hear Jerry sort of right on my right shoulder, guiding me kind of into my body. And I, so you'll hear, I answer Ben with an early answer is just, I noticed that in my physical self, which gave rise all of a sudden to a, why do I feel eight years old? Holy crap. I remember when I was eight years old, what was going on? And that was super productive right on the spot. I mean, five minutes of therapy and that was, you know, years of work, bam, right? Like that. It's, it's a beautiful way. But in a sense, you could hear me, I mean, if you literally, if you go back and listen to that episode, you can hear me, like, begin to attend to my experience, get out of my head, even the memories I'm coming to, I'm just channeling back into my body, though you may not hear me do it out loud. And about the time the tears are hitting, I'm getting to the bottom of that spot Jerry talks about, where you're down into alone and nowhere and nothing. As something is dissolving. Something's dissolving. And it's suddenly putting it together. Wham. And the problem is, for eons, good therapists have guided people to a place where spontaneously what comes up is that memory. And then something absolutely beautiful happens, like you could hear in that episode happening for me. And then all these therapists to follow have thought, oh, I guess the idea is go find the memory. And not wait for it to come up by itself. Sure. But if you do it the other way, you can hear there's sort of that beautiful sadness on the other side and the recognition that comes with it and a kind of freedom. Like, it's a pretty cool example of it happening in real time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. I'd forgotten about that. That was a a great sort of bearing witness to the Jerry experience with your brother. That was really special. Yeah. It's really been kind of cool, actually, all year long to look back on that episode because it's one of the few where things get, like, especially raw, especially for me, right? You went there in another episode. But, like, that in that moment, I'm there, and we're getting an example of lots of the things we hear about later. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Other guests have come and talked about elements of that very session with my brother. Yeah. Well, this was a great experience with Jerry. I think he's a he's a really special dude, and uh, I'm so glad we were able to wrangle him on here. Uh, yeah, me too. And, really uh, fortunate, and yeah. what a huge blessing to have had a teacher like that in my life. Truly, like long after he was, you know, a therapist for especially pressing needs a whole lot of years ago, um, he just was an amazing model and example and consultant and supervisor in a sense. I mean, I could sure. just bring in my stuff and the therapist in me is sitting on my own shoulder listening to him work with the dude. Yep. Pretty special guy. Yeah. Lucky. Well. All right, man. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Thank see you. you. See you Love next you. week. Love you. <laughs>